The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Oh, good morning again, everyone. A warm welcome, wherever and whenever you are. And um, I'm feeling so settled, I almost don't want to talk. <laughs> but um, I'll talk. I promise to talk. So here I am. This um, This week, this context for this week is that it's a series on kind of essential elements of mindfulness that support the growth of our practice and even the beginning of our practice. And I'll do a quick review later, but I'm for now, I just want to jump into today's topic, which is directed attention. So rather than talk about what directed attention is, we'll start with a brief exercise. So focus your attention on one of your hands Not the image or the concept of your hand, but the felt experience of it from the inside out. Tingling, pulsing, warmth or cool, aliveness. And allow your awareness to fill your hand. Perhaps the way water fills a sponge. Now, shift your attention to your foot. Same way, inside out. How hard was that? Really easy, right? So, the capacity of placing our attention in a certain area of the body or even other aspects of our experience, that's directed attention. Sometimes a metaphor can be used like looking through a peephole or looking through a telescope versus looking out an open door or an open window. In reality, though, Directed attention in meditation or in life is less like looking through a small cylindrical object and more it's a form of selective attention, which we as humans simply have. Most of us, if we have our correct neurology and everything's working okay. So an example here, if you're in a crowded plaza and looking for a friend, and you find your good friend. And she or he is a long way away, so you start walking towards them. You aren't totally unaware that there are other people around or other objects around, but the bulk of your attention is on tracking where that person is so that you can arrive to be with them. That is the kind of directed attention that helps many people settle in to meditation. We're putting the bulk of our attention on one thing and allowing other things to kind of be in the periphery. It's a kind of filtering process, filtering of less salient information, and it's a natural and necessary part of human cognition, right? 
So for the purposes of mindfulness meditation, as I did this morning, we often use breathing as the object of attention. Sometimes body sensations work better for some people or sound. In metta meditation, the object of directed attention is the intention of metta, perhaps the phrases. This directed attention is a powerful capacity. It's essential for learning, for life, and for meditation. And as many of you have already discovered, it helps many people settle faster or settle at all in the meditation process faster than just letting the mind kind of roam around and be and do whatever it wants, which often results in daydreaming, fantasy, checking out. So it can help coax our minds away from this wanting and not wanting, this greed and aversion that I've been talking about this week. And eventually it can help attenuate those tendencies to glom on to whatever we like or don't like in a moment by repeatedly, gently placing the attention somewhere normal, soothing, perhaps neutral-ish, though that can shift as we've talked about. Another feature of directed attention that's helpful to know about that's not as often talked about is that sometimes directed attention, that filtering, can allow other things that come up to shape experience without you noticing. So that's why it can be helpful to start or occasionally check in about whatever else is present. So you may remember at the beginning of the meditation, I, as many meditation teachers do, encouraged you to just check out whatever the mood, general frame of mind was before directing your attention to the breathing. This is to acknowledge anything else that might be coming along with our attention into our experience. It's really um, possible for these other dimensions of experience to kind of slip in and get cultivated along with stability of mind. If there's a general sense of unpleasant, for example, and I don't acknowledge it, that next layer after the Vedana, the feeling tone of unpleasant, could be a general about the meditation that day, you know, general not wanting or grumpiness. So this is part of the review of the last few days. Vedana feeling tone was what we covered on Monday. And if it's unseen, it can kind of filter tint experience in a way that isn't so helpful. For example, if I'm having hip pain and I don't notice that it's just hip pain or I do and the mindfulness isn't that strong, I might be averse to it and stay averse to it. I want to shift and make it go away. That's the unpleasant and the not wanting. Boom, boom, in the chain of events. So that feeling tone can be very simple. And if I just acknowledge, oh, pain, sometimes it can just stay, excuse me, 
with the unpleasantness. And I don't have to build a story about it of like, oh, this is cancer and da, 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 da. Or, you know, oh, I need to go back to the doctor. You know, it doesn't have to take me away to this whole story, this whole house of cards. The acknowledgement of the simple feeling tone of what is can cut through even very elaborate stories, unhelpful stories projected outwards. So then there's that next layer that happens for most of us. Common reactions, in this case, it was the not wanting. These can become overall attitudes or frames of mind, oriented to wanting or not wanting, otherwise known as greed or aversion, all forms of craving. It can be, for example, a habitual wanting of a nice experience or a nice view or a nice breath. And then I'm judging all of my experience through that filter of, well, it's supposed to be like this. That's also maybe not so helpful. The beautiful thing about this is that shifting to mindful awareness of the attitude helps develop greater discernment and helps attenuate, move the attitude to be less, less informative or authoritative about my experience. And as I talked about yesterday, the attitude of mind can also influence the feeling tone. So if I go into a room every day to meditate, and it's pleasant, it's got sort of the perfect lighting and ambiance, maybe there's a pleasant scent in the background, a perfect place to sit, that conditions a certain kind of attitude. And once my attitude is set, I'll have a pleasant association with that place. Conversely, if it's a place, I'm not explaining this very well. Um, Basically, what I'm saying is our attitude about an experience can inform how pleasant or unpleasant it is. Let me give another example. I gave this earlier in the class. If we feel the touch of someone's hand on our shoulder, it's a completely different experience if it's a good friend or a lover or if it's a presumptuous acquaintance who's a little bit obnoxious. So our attitude towards the situation, towards the experience, can actually shift the perception of it. Finally, Wednesday, we talked about wholesome or beneficial attitudes of mind for meditation, generosity of spirit, simple allowing, contentment, appreciative interest, inquiry. equanimity. All of those are onward leading to the practice, and all of those can be practiced in relationship to anything else that's arising. If I have appreciative inquiry about my version, it can attenuate it, or at least lead to greater discernment, greater wisdom about it. So mindfulness can transform even unpleasant experiences and predispositions into information, food for awakening, 
So back to directed attention, all of this matters because if we're meditating on a specific object, it's really helpful to intentionally cultivate positive, open-hearted interest, allowing, accepting, non-contention to allow experience to come into the full, full range of experience to come into our mindfulness versus be left out of it and accidentally come along with it. So it's helpful with each meditation to maybe start by checking the attitude or frame of mind. Unseen predispositions, attitudes towards greed or aversion can be subdued by directed attention, attenuated by them, or sometimes they can tag along if our attention is developed elsewhere. So the encouragement is to take a few moments in each meditation and notice, notice whatever the frame of mind or mood or general inclination is so it can be seen clearly and develop greater discernment. Thank you for your practice. A delight to be with you today. And we have just a moment or two. I'll answer one or two questions and then um, be back with some of you tomorrow. It's been a joy. May all beings benefit. Oh, Brian, very bad tinnitus. That is, um, that's unpleasant. I'm sorry to hear that. I have heard two different schools of thought on this. I rarely experience it myself. So these are both from other people. Um, one is to let your attention be much broader than just one object to allow, to allow a broader wash of experiences so that the hearing is just one thread within it. So that's one. I know one person 
for whom it worked to completely merge with the hearing experience and found it to be a great concentration object, that may or may not work for you. So I would experiment with it with a little caution. And then finally, this kind of Tai Chi move that I've been talking about this week, which is to really notice your attitude towards it and focus more on that. Maybe sometimes there's a version. Maybe sometimes it's okay. But to take a step back, I hope that's helpful. So some other great questions coming in here. Um, how do you distinguish between attention and awareness? So Greg, I'm not sure if you were here at the very beginning of the talk, but I didn't frame it this way, but this is indeed what it was. So when I asked people to place their attention on their hand, that's the capacity of attention, especially if it moves from your hand to your foot. The fact that you're aware of the movement of your attention from your hand to your foot is the awareness. So the attention is what moves and the awareness is what sees the moving. Peter, can there be too much control of attention from the control tower of the mind? Absolutely can. The real encouragement in this practice is to settle in to the embodied experience rather than controlling the experience from the mind. So that filling of the hand with awareness by a sponge, like a sponge, that is a very different experience than imagining the hand and trying to control my experience of the hand. So you may experiment with Rather than um, having the locus of attention be in the head, checking out how it feels to feel from the belly or the body. Just going to check here. I think that's a little bit about each of them. I'm also going to be offering um, some Q&A in my blog on my website at the end of the month. So um, I will do my best to capture the questions I haven't had time to answer and address them. And I'll put that link in tomorrow. One more from Mary Lou. This will be the last one. Troubling situation is very prevalent in the heart. How in meditation to keep attention on the anchor. So sometimes you can't. If it's really up, then it can be helpful to turn the attention to your heart, the feelings under the situation, the feelings under the situation. So noticing the sadness or the anxiety or the resistance or whatever is there and attending to that with kindness, with awareness. It can be really helpful not to allow the thoughts just to proliferate and instead come to the embodied part of the emotions and give yourself breaks. Give yourself breaks. So thank you everyone for your attention and look forward to being with you tomorrow. <laughs>